0: I'm really excited. We're going to just kind of make a hard transition um, and jump into the Word. So we're kicking off a brand new sermon series. I like that. Everybody got their notes and Bibles out? That was easy. Uh, We're kicking off a brand new sermon series through the book of James, and I'm really excited. Uh, about this series, and, and you know the ongoing joke. I might have a son in the future named James, so we're just gonna go ahead and get that out of the way. But this is such an incredible book. Uh, it, it's, uh, scholars and commentators have pointed out that James is uh, one of the most popular books in the entire Bible. It's a top three book. Uh, one of the guys that was so uh, formative in leading me to the Lord, this was his favorite book of the Bible. And since I didn't know any other books of the Bible, it became my favorite book of the Bible because that's all we talked about. Uh, James is so special because it's one of those books where uh, it's incredibly practical. Um, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a word fr- from James from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, If you're feeling angry, James has a word for you. Uh, If you're feeling impartial, James has a word for you. Uh, If you're feeling greed rise up in your soul, James has a word for you. It is so practical. Uh, It is so straightforward. And it's one of those really popular books of the Bible. But what's also interesting about James, if we're honest with ourselves, it's also one of the least practiced books in the Bible. There's so many words that James commands us to do in, in trusting God with our future, and caring for the oppressed and the poor, and um, coming alongside God, um, and, and, and blessing communities, and, and helping revive broken parts in family, and pursuing unity, and things that we just don't often do. And what's so interesting is that now more than ever, there's this incredible gap, this disconnect between people claiming the faith, and people actually doing the stuff Jesus said to do. And it's one of the reasons why so many people are leaving the church, because if you're honest, you might have seen people like this, or or you may know someone that, that has this faith in Jesus, but there's no faith in action. It's a type of faith that claims Jesus is Lord, but there's no evidence of Jesus living in you through your actions, through your deed. And so what's so great about the book of James is that it shows us what faith from heaven looks like when it touches earth. It shows us what faith on the ground actually looks like. It shows us how to think through through faith and works, faith and trials, faith and justice, faith and mercy, faith and the future, faith and chaos, faith and war. It's not faith or, but faith and. And what does it look like to let this faith come in you and work itself out through you? And that's what the book of James is all about. And that's what we're kind of step into this summer. As we explore this idea of faith just being more than this idea of claiming lordship to Jesus. But what does it look like when it comes outside of us in our everyday actions? What would the world look like? What kind of community could we be? if we had not just a a, a faith alone, but a faith that works. And so uh, with that, uh, we are going to be making our way through this book, and and we're going to go chapter by chapter, some places verse by verse, and and discussing uh, different ideas of of faith that James brings up. So today we we find ourselves in the very beginning, James chapter 1, And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. This is what it says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, With the remaining uh, time we have together, these are the two points that will structure uh, our text. Uh, If you're taking notes, the sermon is Faith and Troubles. And point one is the transformation, and point two is the stand. The transformation and the stand. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, allowing us to gather this morning. Um, uh, I'm always in awe of the idea that we come from so many different places and spaces in life, and yet we come into the same door to sit in the same room to worship you. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of the Gathered Church for family. Uh, I pray that as we look into the word this morning, uh, I I pray that you would uh, prepare our hearts to receive it. Uh, Like James says, let us not just be hearers of the word, but let us be doers. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I'm going to give a brief sort of background on James because uh, we're going to be running through this book for the rest of the summer. So uh, I don't I don't want to be too thorough. But uh, verse one says, "James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ." So right off the bat, we're we're introduced by uh, we're given a greeting by a man named James. Now, in the New Testament, there are a few James, but uh, history has shown us that this James is the half brother of Jesus. Uh, half-brother because Mary was their mom, but they had a, a, a different father. Jesus had God the father, and uh, James had Joseph. So that's, that's a big big up on on, on James. So uh, he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So right from the beginning, history shows us that, that James is related to Jesus. Uh, this was Jesus' little brother. And, and just like Jude, if you recall when we preached in the book of Jude, Jude has a very similar greeting. He introduces himself as a servant and of the Lord Jesus Christ and never mentions uh, uh, that he is a brother of Jesus. Now, if there's any time you want to mention that, that you're related to someone, Jesus is the person. Uh, that Jesus is my big brother. Uh, that carries a lot of authority and a lot of power um, and a lot of clout, as the, the young people say. And I don't know if I use that right. There, there's weight. Ty said I used it wrong. Okay. There's a lot of weight in this. Uh, And and yet James moves away from that because he knows that that, that being earthly related to Jesus gives him no more spiritual authority. Uh, Rather, the greatest position that he can have is being a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And out of reverence, he's submitting himself to the Lordship of Christ. And that's the same Lordship that Jesus has called all of us to. So it doesn't matter if you're his mom, dad, brother, sister. Jesus all calls us to die to ourselves and to submit our lives to his lordship. And and James uh, was not exempt from that. Now, what's interesting is that James and his family, they weren't always in this place. Uh, In in fact, uh, they did not believe Jesus' claim to divinity when Jesus was ministering and alive on earth. And so uh, Mark 3.21 says uh, that when his family was talking about Jesus, his family heard it, They went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. Uh, Jesus is is doing earthly ministry, and his family thinks that he's crazy and out of his mind, and so they go to seize him and to bring him home. Uh, John 7, 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is, is walking on earth, reversing the effects that sin has on humanity. Rumor has gotten out that this guy can raise the dead, that he can walk on water, that he can multiply food, that he can open blind eyes. And his family, who were firsthand witnesses to this, uh, thought that uh, he was out of his mind and crazy. That his claim to divinity, that that him claiming that he is God in the flesh was ridiculous and crazy. And if we're honest, kind of makes sense. I don't know if you have siblings. I know mine's watching. If he claimed to be Jesus... I would say the same thing. Uh, he is clearly out of his mind, and you would say the same thing about your siblings, but Jesus was different. So what happened in, in the life of James? Uh, what, what, what kind of spurred on this transformation where we see in his earthly ministry while jesus is alive his brothers clearly did not believe in him they said he was out of his mind and now we get to uh uh, you know 10 20 years after the resurrection some scholars say this was written about 40 a.d Uh, james is saying that he's a servant of god and the lord jesus christ what a radical transformation how did this take place the same way your transformation took place an encounter with jesus In fact, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And so this whole chapter is about the resurrection and and Paul unpacking the implications of the resurrection. And he says that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, appeared to James one-on-one. I would love to be in that room to hear what that conversation was like. Uh, It just, uh, you know, my imagination runs crazy. Maybe James was apologizing for being a bad little brother. Uh, maybe you know, he, he, there's a sense of regret filled in his heart for not treating his, his brother right. Or, or maybe Jesus is to him, ministering to him the way that, that Jesus ministered to, um, to Peter and John on the mountaintop with the transfiguration. Who knows what's going on? But when James saw the resurrected Jesus, something happened inside of him. He moved from skepticism and, and doubt and unbelief to full-on faith and allegiance in Christ. And that's what happens when Jesus draws near to us and reveals himself to us, is that we instantly go from unbelief to faith and allegiance in Jesus. And this is the transformation that James has experienced and that's available to all of us. Now, here's what's so incredible about James is that he encounters the risen Christ. He sees his big brother, his God, Lord and Savior, and the next set of events that begin to unfold are just incredible. Uh, this, this sort of uh, th- this moment, these set of verses that we're reading with kind of correspond with the beginning of Acts as the church is growing and being built. And Acts chapter 15, and in fact the book of Acts lets us know that James became a chief elder of the church in Jerusalem. That, that this whole community of Christians that were growing and, and, and living in Jerusalem, James became the chief elder, the lead pastor, the man of God who led this whole community of Christians. And in fact, in Acts chapter 15, James was the chief elder overseeing the, the Jerusalem council. Uh, this big uh, moment, this event in the life of the church where uh, they uh, sort of disputed and settled the, the, the fact that, that Gentiles and Jews, both alike, are saved by, by faith through grace alone, that, that there's no other works you need to do, that salvation is available for all. Now, we read about this, and, and you may hear this, and you say, well, what's the big deal? It's interesting that, that, that in one moment, James is transformed by Jesus, and, and less than a year, two years, three years later, he's, he's leading the whole thing in Jerusalem, that here's a guy who was never with Jesus during his earthly ministry. He was not a disciple. He was not following Jesus while, while Jesus led his ministry during these three years. And yet in one moment, everything changed. And James became this incredible leader and figure of the early church. What kind of shows me is that it's never too late to come to Jesus. And you never know what faith in Christ can do or what God can do through you. In fact, there were better candidates for the early church. Paul was pretty cool. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He was, he was studied under law. Uh, Peter and James, they were with Jesus. They, 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 they were there the entire time, but, or uh, Peter and John. But it says that James was appointed to be the elder. What an incredible transformation that takes place when we encounter the risen Christ and we submit our lives to him. In Christ, you are not delayed. In Christ, you are not set back. In Christ, uh, I would even argue to say that there is no rush, that when we come to him and give our lives to him, he knows exactly what to do, and we can trust him with our lives because he, he is the author of time, and he is a good shepherd that cares for us. And so James is leading this church, this community, and it's important to know that this is a community in crisis. It's a community in crisis. What do I mean by that? Uh, The early church was plagued by persecution, by this incredible amount of suffering. In fact, the early church experienced uh, so many uh, economic injustices. Christians would be evicted by their landlords. Uh, Rent would be raised on them. They would be robbed of the most basic goods and necessities to live. Uh, And so James is leading his flock, and he's looking out at the people that God has entrusted them, and they're afflicted. They're without food. They're without home. Some are being uh, stoned and killed and martyred. And so we have a church in crisis. And, and this is what James says as, as we continue to read in verse 2. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. And if we're honest, this is kind of one of those scriptures that we just wish wasn't in the Bible. Like, really? Count it all joy? James, there's there's people without home, homes. There's there, there's families that are being ripped apart. Uh, brother and sister, so and so, have been taken to jail. They, they they they've been killed. Count it all joy. That's a little insensitive, don't you think? Why 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 would you say that? What 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 is happening here? And and yet, what's so interesting is 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 that James himself would experience. And and this is obviously he wrote this before his death, but one of the most uh, gruesome martyr deaths. Um, in 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 the apostles lives that he he would be forced to renounce his faith and, and and upon not renouncing his faith he was thrown off the the highest mountain in jerusalem and then when they saw he didn't die they continued to stone him until he died and yet there was still something inside of him that committed allegiance and faith to christ there was still something inside of him that said that faith in jesus is worth dying for and what motivated that what spurred that on Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Before we unpack that idea, let's look at a few words here. The first word I want to look at is the word all. Uh, In the Greek, commentators have pointed out that this is just a really interesting uh, verse to translate. And it's been uh, mistranslated quite a bit. Uh, Some translations say count uh, everything joy. And and, and really what the Greek shows us is that all does not mean joy. Everything. Uh, What James isn't saying is is that count every single trial, count that individual thing by itself as a source of joy. That's not what he's saying. Rather, what he's saying is is that joy is more than an emotion, Uh, it it refers to the state of being. Uh, Being able to be in this place uh, where we have this settled contentment in every situation. Uh, An unnatural reaction of deep, steady, unadulterated, thankful trust in God. That's what James is referring to when he talks about joy. This confidence inside of you that is steadfast and settled, that regardless what's going on, your joy is not dictated on what's happening out there, but rather it's dictated and founded upon the person of Christ. And so what James is doing in this moment is that he's going even further back and saying, when I'm talking about joy and when I'm talking about this sort of trials and troubles, I'm not talking about emotions. Um, and, and, and the reason why is that in God's kindness, God gives us emotions. He gives us the ability to feel. And so when he says count or consider it all joy, he's not talking about emotions, but about thought, about thinking, about your thought life. In other words, he's saying, take a, take, uh, take a step back and, and consider your life. Breathe, regain perspective, reframe and rethink your trial as a source of joy. Uh, and so what's so great is that J- James is not telling us how we should feel. Rather, he's telling us how we should think about one's circumstances. Because it's never, ever helpful to tell somebody how they should feel about something. That never works. It's incredibly difficult to tell somebody, and you've experienced this, hey, just change the way you're feeling. It doesn't work like that. But what James is saying is that we can change the way we think about what we're experiencing. And instead of viewing something as uh, the end of our life and as hopeless and as um, this thing that will end us, what if we change the way we thought about trials and perspectives? And instead of viewing them as something... Uh, that is a negative experience, what if God is at work in those things, using those moments to craft something in us that we couldn't craft on our own? James is asking us to count, to consider, to conclude that any trouble, any trial we experience can be a source of joy. Uh, He's not telling us that, that everything is joy because that's not true. Rather, he's calling us to live our lives in such a way that, that when we do experience troubles and trials, that we have the, 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 this gospel vision that sees suffering or tribulations as trials, not as something uh, that will take us out, but something that will elevate us and make us more like Jesus. Uh, Craig Bloomberg, a commentator on the Book of James, uh, says that James does not, does not command us to wear the artificial, happy faces that so many seem uh, that, that so many seem to think are required in church. Denying one 's true emotions seldom accomplishes anything good, but while we cannot will ourselves to be jovial rather than, than depressed, we can choose how we think. Hence the verbs about considering and knowing in verse 2 and 3. The joy that James has in mind is this eschatological catchword, this this idea of being heavenly minded, focused um, on on the kingdom of God, not an emotion. Um, Having this perception of trials that's rooted in the gospel, that considers our complete demise by a God who promises a new day. Aren't you thankful for that? That the scriptures isn't asking you to have this happy face all the time, pretend that everything is all right. That you can actually be in the midst of of trials and troubles and feel depleted and afflicted and suffering and depressed and anxious and taken out. And yet there's provisions for you to sit in that place and that God has made a way for you to to, to think about those things, not as your identity, not as your future, not as what this life has in store for you, but that God somehow in a mysterious way can use those things to transform us and to change us. Why? Because verse three says, he says, you know this, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Uh, he, he, he's reminding the church that you know what testing does. You know what afflictions and suffering do. Uh, he says, some of you ha- ha- have lost this. Maybe your perspective has shifted, but I wanna remind you what testing does. And and the idea of testing here is the process to determine the authenticity of something. Uh, It's it's the idea of authenticating the value of something. And so what James is showing us is that trials and troubles expose where we are placing our faith. That when we're experiencing these, these trials and troubles, it's this awesome test that we get to grow through go and grow through, that really revealed to us where are we placing our faith? What kind of foundation are we building our lives upon? It reminds me of the story in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus is on the boat with his disciples and uh, they're they're, uh, overcome with, with sorrow and stress and they're fearing for their lives as they find themselves in the type of storm that they knew historically would end people's lives. And uh, Jesus, the Prince of Peace that Isaiah says he is, is, is sleeping on the boat. Um, and, and they wake him, um, and Jesus says something like, why do you fear? And immediately he rebukes the winds and the waves, and the whole storm is calmed. And I love what they say. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? And what's so interesting about this story is that really it, it displays this idea of God testing and refining our faith that God would take these men on a journey they did not intend to go on to produce in them something they could not produce on their own. And this is what's so amazing about, about, about the Lord, is that he will take you and I through these uh, through different trials and through different troubles to produce something in us that we wouldn't do on our own. Why? Because we avoid trials and we avoid troubles. Uh, we want to take the, the easy way Out Yet trials and troubles is is the gym, is the arena where faith is strengthened. Faith being this muscle. And so what we see in this story is clearly there's this this, this inward faith. Where the disciples are stressing out out of fear for their lives. So they're they're trying everything in their own power to will good into this moment. To save themselves. And what this moment reveals that that Mark shows us is that disciples had this faith in themselves and not faith in Jesus. And so Jesus would use this deadly moment to reveal to them their little faith and redirect their hearts to the author of faith. You see, trials and troubles, uh, when we go through them, it's these opportunities where we encounter Jesus and we ask ourselves all over again, who is this man that even he can provide for me in this crazy place? Who is this man that, that even he can work breakthrough in this part of my life that I, that I thought th- there would be no breakthrough? It, trials and troubles are these places where God begins to expose our fragile faith and then fortify it in him as we draw near to him and place our confidence in him. And, if, and, and when we think about 2020 and parts of 2021 filled with all sorts of trials and troubles, The pandemic exposing uh, so much um, anxiety and fear and restlessness, people losing uh, their jobs, people being out of work, close ones dying, and then everything else with with racial racial tensions and divisions. And then when we come out of uh, of just a statewide and we look into the world, chaos and war and so much brokenness and protests and bombs and missiles and, and so many things that are trying and troubling and yet, what's so easy to do is, is to kind of take this inward look at our lives and say, "Well, uh, this 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 is my portion. Um, everything is falling apart. There's no ho- hope. There's no life, and there's no way out." And many of us have experienced that in this room, uh, where we felt like just sobbing ourselves uh, every night, running out of Kleenexes, using tissues and 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 feeling the weight and agony of the world and asking ourselves where is God in this or what is God doing and yet what's so incredible is that in those moments sometimes it's hard to see what's happening but one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes and and I say it a lot is that day by day it seems like nothing is changing but when we look back everything looks so different and it's one of those, it's that idea that, that in the moment, in the affliction, in the trying, in, in the trouble, it seems like there's no breakthrough. But we have this confidence that God is at work in these, place, in these places of our lives that, that we may not see Him at work in. And as He begins to slowly settle the storm, slowly bring us to the other side where the disciples were originally going on their boat trip, we begin to see what God was doing all along. And it moves our heart to worship as we see that those moments was not God's rebuke over our lives, was not God's displeasure, but it was his kindness where he would use the everyday stuff of life to reveal what's inside of here so that we can submit it to his lordship and build our lives on him. He says, you know, you know this, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know that testing is a good thing because testing gives way to correction. If you have something wrong, if you understand something wrong, a good old test will reveal that to you. I know because I failed a lot of tests. Uh, we're talking about graduating seniors. It's a miracle that I graduated college and high school and anything that involves a test because I'm a terrible test taker. And tests always revealed what I got wrong and was an opportunity to refine, to grow, uh, to, to put into practice something that I'm misunderstanding. And in life, those tests do the same thing with our faith. It's this opportunity for correction and for strengthening. And really the most important thing to note is that when James talks about faith, he's not necessarily talking about this idea of, of just belief. And it's not this sort of faith in God that that makes everything better. It's not this faith, faith in God that is just kind of acknowledging that he is alive and real. Rather, it's this complete confidence and trust and allegiance to God that comes from knowing who he is and what he's done for you. This faith that is rooted in an intimate, personal relationship with God and knows the history of God with his people and is built upon the word, uh, this sort of complete confidence and trust that moves beyond just acknowledging his existence. He's talking about this lifestyle, this, this lifestyle of faith. And so I love this because, um, in, in other words, uh, uh, he's saying that, that you can be joyful... Because you know that your trials are producing something. You can be joyful because your trials and your troubles, uh, uh, have, uh, you know, aren't just these things that that just kind of come and go, but each one serves a specific purpose as used by God, and they're producing steadfastness, he says, or or perseverance or uh, endurance. Uh, In other words, this ability to hold up, this ability to stand firm for the Lord. And what's so crazy about the time that we live in, it seems like everything is pulling us in one direction or another. And it seems like now more than ever, there's this propensity to drift, to slowly walk away, to take one step away from the Lord and compromise in one area of our lives, to maybe say, I don't need to, um, you know, I can, I can, take a break on my devotional life. I can take a break on community. I can take a break on prayer. I can remove myself from God's people and there can be this propensity to drift. And James is saying that that these trials and these troubles that, that may cause you to drift, actually when used by God, can produce in you this endurance, this steadfastness, this incredible quality, this ability to stand, to stand for God when everything else is falling apart. To stand in the gap when it seems like everything is going wrong. To stand and live for Jesus when everybody else is denying him. To stand and live for Christ and do what he said. That these trials and troubles are producing something in you. They're actually moving you in the direction of love and obedience. To not only just believe in God, but to do what he said. Trials and troubles are the arena where faith is exercised and made stronger. We continue to read in verse four, and he says, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I love what other translations say, that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And this is the idea of being transformed by God, from growing in one degree of glory to another, that we are constantly being matured, and we're moving towards the direction of perfection. Not that we'll be fully perfected on earth, but if you have faith in Christ, you're moving in the direction of living in a glorified body uh, in eternity with the Lord, experiencing perfection. And on our way there, James says that, 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 that trials and troubles help refine us. They help mature us. They, they actually make us whole. And one of my favorite things to do, and, and, and this is just a practice of mine, is I just love getting around old people, people who have experienced life, uh, people who have gone through their fair trials and troubles. And I don't know about you, but, but hearing hearing somebody else share about God's faithfulness spurs me to greater faith in the Lord. Um, I think about people like, like, like my dad. Uh, who um, at at different times in his life has has lost different jobs and has been unemployed. And I've asked him, how are you going to make it? What are you going to do? And this is his response. God is big. I've been here before. That sort of response, that sort of faith isn't crafted overnight. It's crafted after experiencing God's faithfulness and goodness time after time after time until your heart finally trusts and believes that God is good. And that's what God is doing in your life. Don't despise these moments of affliction. Don't despise these moments of hurt or troubles. Rather, James is saying, Count it all joy. Shift your perspective. Think about these things not as an opportunity uh, for you uh, to fail or experiencing brokenness, but as an opportunity for God to come through on his faithfulness and show you who he is and what he wants to do for you. And oftentimes those are the moments where we see God clearest. Why? Because those are the moments where we seek him the most. Lord, I'm struggling with finances. Lord, I am struggling with my future. I'm struggling with my career. I'm struggling with this age range of my kids. I'm struggling with sleep. I'm struggling with parenting. I'm struggling, Lord. And those are the places where God meets us and reveals his goodness and faithfulness to us. And he begins to refine us and create this completeness and wholeness that we could not have gained anywhere else. And he doesn't leave us to ourselves, but he calls us to live in this community so that you can be a witness to God's faithfulness as somebody else is going through that same trouble and affliction. This is why community is so important. This is why you cannot follow Jesus alone. Because the work that God is doing in somebody else's life is the same God that can be at work in your life. And and that testimony of God's faithfulness and goodness will become your testimony. Or will become the thing that motivates you to faithfulness in Jesus. Community is so important if we are going to endure and persevere and stay steadfast. Let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking. Nothing. So, so what, what do we do with this? What does this mean for us? How does this affect the everyday stuff of life? Many people in here are experiencing your own troubles and trials. Maybe, maybe you're trying to build a family and, and have kids, and, and things aren't working out the way that, that you planned. Maybe you are applying for a thousand different jobs, and there's no good prospect in sight. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to uh, rework your marriage or fix this relationship or, 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 or figure out how to deal with this, this anger or this depression or this hopelessness, and it seems like your world is falling apart. What does James have to speak into that? Well, first, he's asking us, as we mentioned earlier, to change the way we think, uh, to, to, to change the way that we see trials and troubles not just as this, uh, uh, this standalone affliction in our life that will pass away, but this moment that God will use to reveal his goodness and faithfulness and grow us and make us more like Jesus. And then you might be thinking, well, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. How do I do that? How do I go from, from experiencing the pain and emotion to be able to, to consider that what God is doing or what's happening to me can be a source of joy? And this is, why, this is what James says in verse five, which is so amazing. If you struggle with doing this, if you have a, a hard time seeing joy in your trials and troubles, if you just can't do it and it's an incredibly difficult thing to do, this is what James says in verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. This is incredible because what James is saying is that if you have trouble seeing the world the way that God does, If you have trouble seeing the good and and, and the possible good in your immediate afflictions and circumstances, if you have trouble being heavenly minded and having a gospel vision for your suffering and circumstances, James says that's totally okay. Ask God for wisdom and he will deposit in you this sort of wisdom that will begin to reshape your perspective that will begin to change the way that you think, that will begin to change the way that you see the world. And instead of seeing suffering and trials and troubles as these standalone, isolated events in your life, God will give you a vision for joy, for compassion, for holiness, for sanctification. And what's so incredible about this is is that this is a a promise that, that he says, if you pray and ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. And God is not a liar. He is faithful to his word. Uh, This is one of those prayers that God always answers. It's one of those prayers that that I find myself praying constantly. Lord, give me wisdom. And immediately he gives me wisdom. By way of calling my mind to remember something that I heard or learned. Maybe I just happen to stumble upon a podcast that is speaking to the issue that I'm dealing with. Maybe it's a book I just picked up, a conversation I just had, or a random YouTube video uh, in, in my recommendations, or the voice of the Lord speaking. God always gives wisdom. If you're struggling to count it all joy, if you're struggling to see joy in life and struggling to be able to think and comprehend and see life through this perspective, James says, ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. And he'll pour it out generously. And so what's so great is that we can find joy in suffering. We can find joy in trials. We can find joy in troubles because Jesus found found joy in suffering. Hebrews 12, two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this was, it's so amazing about the gospel and the kingdom of God, is that where we once could not find, where we once found hopelessness and shame and doubt in places of trials and afflictions can now become a source of joy. That in the kingdom of God, because, G, because of what Jesus has found for us, now trials and troubles become the arena where faith is strengthened. We can find joy in trials. We can find joy in troubles because Jesus found joy in suffering. And, and because Jesus made it through, as Jesus is being tested in the wilderness, he made it through. And endured every single temptation, every single affliction, so that you and I, when we're being tested and tempted and fall short, can call on Jesus and walk out in obedience. Not because of our own strength and our own faith, but because of his strength and our faith in him at work in us. You see, when we fail to be obedient and when we fail to, uh, to have the, the correct perspective on what God is doing in our lives, Jesus remained faithful on our behalf. And as he's suffering in the garden and as he's dying on the cross and experiencing the agony of death, consider this perspective that Jesus had towards his executioners. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This incredible heavenly minded kingdom perspective of forgiveness and love that Jesus had and put on full display so that when you and I fail, when you and I can't see what God is doing, when you and I can't possibly comprehend what's going on, we can come to Jesus. And through our faith in him, he begins to rearrange and and reframe the way we see life. So that like Jesus, we can consider all, we can consider life and trials and suffering, joy. A place where joy can be crafted as we set our mind on him. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so what's so great is that the gospel makes provisions for faith that is independent of troubles. It is not dictated on how well things are going out there. Rather, it is placed on Jesus and founded upon him. And this faith in Jesus can can navigate the most turbulent seas and stay afloat. This faith in Jesus can see through the darkness and bring light into our lives. This faith in Jesus has the ability to transform and, and raise dead things to new life. Consider Jesus. Count it all joy. Consider Jesus and how he suffered, how he displayed joy, and how that is ours because of the gospel. You see, belief in the gospel doesn't just save us. Rather, belief in the gospel begins to fundamentally transform the way we see the world and the way we see suffering. Because now we see the world through this kingdom gospel lens, where trials and troubles are just the arena, where my faith is strengthened, and I'm made more like Jesus. Paul would call these momentary afflictions, for our present troubles are small, he says, and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Because of the kingdom of God, we can view troubles as these momentary afflictions that are producing for us this eternal weight of glory. Jesus surrendered his life. When you were not faithful and not obedient, Jesus was faithful and obedient. When you failed the test, Jesus passed the test. Jesus is faithful and he was obedient to the point of death and on the cross so that those who doubt, you and I, those who are faithless, those who are not obedient could experience the pleasure and life of God. That's why Jesus says in John 59, if you are obedient to my word and love me as I have loved you, my joy will remain inside of you. That joy comes from being connected to Jesus and living for him and with him. For apart from him, we can do nothing. So as we come to the table, what kind of perspective do you have this morning? What are you counting? What are you considering? Are you considering how your trials and troubles are are more of an inconvenience and uh, a bump in the road to your plans? are you seeing them as the place where God can refine you and grow you and make you more like Jesus? Are you seeing them as a place that robs you joy? Or are you seeing it as a place where God can craft in you joy that is independent of what's going on around you? On the night that Jesus was betrayed and handed over to be crucified, Jesus put on display this incredible steadfastness. uh, this he, he, he remained and he stayed and he endured. Where he could have left the table and said, no, I'm not going to do this. Jesus stayed and remained. And when he could have walked off the cross because he had every power and ability to do so, he put on display steadfastness and endurance and hung on that cross for you and I so that the joy that's inside of him can be placed inside of us that is independent of trials and troubles so that the mind that he has can become our mind. Paul says we now have the mind of Christ so that instead of seeing this world as this ultimately broken place that has nothing to offer, now we can see it as the training ground in which God is producing something inside of us that you could not produce on your own. And we see the cross become this place where trials and troubles and death have a head-on collision with joy and steadfastness and endurance. And Jesus overcomes so that you and I can overcome and be victorious in Christ. As you come to the table, I want to...